Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. We've hit 50 listeners, so let's get started on this week's edition of the Shamrock Live. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by you guys. You're my co-host today, uh, and every Friday, back to our usual noon spot to talk a little bit about Central Michigan and as much about Ohio State as you want, um, because this is sort of your show, and I'm just I'm here to uh, talk about what you guys want to talk about. So you can jump in the queue, ask a question that way, um, or put something into the chat and I'll read it into the show. In an ideal world, I'd call you to the stage. You'd ask a question sort of like this is uh, sane and rational sports radio and we'll put together the Shamrock Live podcast that way. But we'll go to the chat first from Jeff H. And he wants to know who will align the defense with Bertrand out. I would expect that to be Jack Kaiser at uh, the Mike linebacker this weekend. We saw a little bit of that last week at NC State where Kaiser plays the Mike, but usually that would be with the second wave uh, of the defense where Kaiser would be at the Mike and Sneed would be at the will. I think we'll have Kaiser at the Mike and Maris Leofile at the will, and the defense will operate that way. Everyone here is a subscriber to The Athletic, so maybe you saw my story with Jack Kaiser that I did in training camp where I sat down and talked through six plays with him incredibly high football IQ. I have no doubt that uh, the defense will operate seamlessly with him at the mic, maybe against a different, more physical run team. You would lose Bertrand's strength and size in the middle, but I think against Central Michigan, they will be just fine. All right, we're going to go to the queue. Stephen O is the first to enter into the chat. Stephen O, I just called you to the stage. Go ahead, ask your question. Yeah. Uh, hi, Pete. Long time uh, hey. subscriber. I guess first time a uh, co-host. Um, <laughs> uh, what would you say uh, is the key stats for Notre Dame to beat Ohio State aside from points and turnover margin? It's a good question. I mean, the, the stat that if Notre Dame excelled in it, um, that would be conducive to them beating Iowa State. I mean, I always found like rushing attempts is, is pretty high up the list for me. Um, you know, typically when Notre Dame gets to 40, that is a win, you know, even more so than rushing yardage because it just means you've controlled the tempo of the game better than the opponent did. So rushing attempts is a big one. You know, to Notre Dame's credit this year, red zone defense has actually been good. You know, I know it's three games and NC State actually scored a couple touchdowns in their red zone uh, penetrations. But if they're going to be top 20 and red zone touchdown percentage defense, I think that would really uh, make me feel good about Notre Dame's chances next week because, you know, that means Ohio State's settling for field goals. I think they'll score against Notre Dame. Like, they'll move the ball a little bit with those receivers. But that means you eliminated the, the catastrophic 50-yard Marvin Harrison Jr. touchdown play that um, – you know, that, that could sort of turn the tide in a way that 
I mean, you go back to like the Clemson game, right, in 2020 when Ian Book hit that Avery Davis completion at the end. I know it wasn't a touchdown, but you know, if you're you're staying away from those chunk plays, that usually is a sign that your red zone defense was pretty good because you held them to field goals once they got down there. So that would be the biggest. Those would be two for me that I always like rushing attempts. If you can get to 40, and then red zone defense in terms of touchdown percentage. All right, Andrew G, you are next up. Uh, Andrew G, you're on stage here on the Shamrock Live. Go ahead with your question. Awesome. Hey, you know what? Um, question for you. Do you detect any concern at all from Freeman or Parker with regards to the lack of production from the outside receivers? Um, have you had a chance to talk about that? Because it seems like the slot receivers and the tight ends are able to get open, but uh, a little concerned about the outside receivers. So just wonder if they've ever addressed that. They have not addressed that head on, but... Um... You know, you go back to what the Navy game where Great House scores two touchdowns. He's more of a slot. I mean, he could play outside, but he's more of a slot. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Tobias Merriweather and Deion Colsey are not really kicking on yet. You know, Merriweather has, I think, three catches. He had an explosive one last week where he got hawked down by a linebacker who was, I mean, look, Peyton Wilson is legit. I mean, he ran down Chris Tyree, too. But, you know, I think in some ways it's a function of the offense a little bit. And I think it's a function of Sam Hartman where even though at Wake Forest, he threw a lot of back shoulder fades, which you would think, right, that's a killer concept for a Merriweather or a Colsey or Jaden Thomas who are outside the numbers. Um, at Notre Dame, he's been much more, I think, between the numbers, and he's not afraid to throw over the middle, which is you know where your slot receiver is living mostly. The emergence of Holden Stays last week probably plays a little bit part in that, but I think it gets something I've written a little bit about this at the athletic where like Notre Dame doesn't have a number one receiver they have, but they, I think they have like five or six number twos, maybe four or five number twos. And you have a quarterback who can figure out, all right, where's my best matchup with a number two? Where's your number three corner or where's your number three safety? For the most part, those are going to be the guys inside the numbers um, because you can protect them a little bit more. Whereas your elite corners, your Cam Hart and Ben Morrison are outside the numbers. They're, they're playing your outside receivers. So it would be great if there was a Michael Floyd or a Will Fuller on this team and Sam Hartman could just like even A.T. Perry, his number one receiver last year at Wake Forest is more of an outside the numbers player. No, like Notre Dame's outside receivers, just they're not as good relative their, to their position as Tyree and Greyhouse in the slot or stays as a number two receiver, or even thrown to the back. So it's not an ideal situation in terms of like just the talent at the wide receiver position, but Sam Hartman has sort of made it work. I, I actually asked him about this specifically on Tuesday night when he came in and he's like, look, you're just trying to find the spaces in the field where you can get a guy free. And I was like, all right, everyone says that. But then I went, dug into pro football focus to figure out, all right, well, if you're really throwing the guys in space, then Notre Dame's yard at, yards after catch should be very high end this year. And it turns out it is off the charts If, in terms of the pace that they're on. They're on pace for 2,322 yards after catch this season. Last year, or the last nine years, they averaged about 1,500. So that's just like Sam Hartman is getting the ball to the – not only to the receiver who's open – He's getting the ball to the receiver who's open and letting him run onto it and, and pick up another 10, 15, 20 yards. And I know, you know, Angeli had kind of some inflated uh, yards after catch stats against Tennessee State, but 
that I, that I think is probably more critical to is the offense functioning than what's the issue with the outside receivers. And I, I think that the, the yards after catch that Sam Hartman has been able to produce, and he's, look, he's number two in the country in passer rating. That probably speaks more to how the offense is functioning than the lack of production from the outside receivers does. But like, I'm, I'm with you in the sense that last week at NC State, I think it was in the second quarter. Maybe now it might have been the first quarter. Sam Hartman put this beautiful ball over Jaden Thomas's shoulder on the going left, I think, on your TV screen, and it was sort of on the left sideline. Like that's a play Notre Dame's receivers need to make to help out Sam Hartman. That's sort of one of those like where are the if the outside receivers are gonna step up, that's the kind of play they have to make. But I think that you know, overall, the offense is functioning pretty well, even without that position stepping up. Adam B, go ahead. Are you with your question? Daniel K, ask that again. Um, hop in there again. But Adam B, you're up. Yeah, hey, Pete. Um, yeah. O-line, frustration, man. A lot of frustration. I think it's the key for us going the distance. Mm-hmm. Like, what is, what's going on? Is it Fisher's injury or perceived injury? Is he, Obviously, he's not the same. Is yeah. it the, the coaching change going on? Is it play calling? So maybe you can just kind of talk about what your thoughts are. Yeah. There. I feel like the offensive line and like, I want to make sure that my opinion, of the offensive line is like, I make it clear. Like, I don't think they're playing poorly. I just don't think they're playing as well as they, their talent would lead you to believe they could play. I think that Rocco Spindler has, is sort of still getting into the groove of starting at Notre Dame. And that was, it was the first series against NC state where I think it was a nose tackle to his left came across his face and then went around his right side and blew apartment. Like, that's a play that like he needs to block. That's like getting beat physically. And, you know, when you asked around about Spindler, why is he not playing? How far away is he? It was much more like the ability to move laterally and pass sets. Like he can root you out of there as a run blocker. And I think he's done a good job with that. But where Spindler needs to take it in the next step is like seeing where the pressures come and then physically being able to block it. Fisher, he was better against NC State than he was against Tennessee State. That was a, a bizarre performance to me. I want to give him one more week before I like say like, all right, Marcus, like, what's up with Blake Fisher? Because um, I think that, I mean, you remember like he missed his entire freshman year except for the first half against Florida State when he played well, and then he comes back in the bowl game and he was incredible. I thought he was really good all last season, and we just haven't seen him kick on from there. So. I don't know if there's an injury that Notre Dame's not letting on, if he's just playing hurt a little bit, but he has not kicked on from where he was last year. I would like to think that, especially the two guards, they started three games total, uh, or six games total, three each, that that, they couldn't help but improve. You're going to get beat physically sometimes, like Zeke Carell gave up a pressure up the middle, like that happens. Joel got a holding penalty, which I still don't understand after watching the film, but I just think that the line has so much more to it, and I you know, I go back to, if you remember the 2018 season, that was, you had Mustafer, Bars, Eichenberg, Kramer, and Hainsey. I think that was the line. They were really bad at the start of the season. You know, Michigan was good. I get it. Um, they, were, they were hard to block. But then Ball State and Vanderbilt, like, they couldn't move the ball. I realized quarterback had a ton to do with that, and Sam Hartman is a much, much different player than Brandon Wimbush was. but. Game four is really where this should turn on. And if it does, I think we'll see. I just want to see, like, some of it on Saturday. I want to see them move people off the ball. Uh, I want to see Spindler pick up pressures. 
Fisher not get beat to the outside. I don't think Joe Rudolph has anything to do with it in a negative way. I just think that you've got inexperienced guards who are getting up to speed. And then Fisher is Fisher to me is like one of the big mysteries because he has a chance to be elite, like not maybe as good as Joe Walt, but not that far off. And he, he hasn't played that well so far. So I have a, I have a tough time with that one. All right, Daniel K. I'm going to call you back to the stage. Daniel K., you're up with your question on the Shamrock Live. All right. Thanks, Pete. Uh, I'm going to take a, a page from your podcast performances this week and look ahead, if that's all right. Okay. Oh, please. So you've always been good at looking at big picture uh, as it comes to Notre Dame games. And I'm wondering where the home game next week against the Buckeyes ranks in your purview of the of your, t- of your time covering the Irish, you know, 05 USC, you had defending national champs, and the Irish were back. That one's always going to be top of the mm-hmm. list. But what about in comparison to, say, 2012 Stanford, where Notre Dame was down a little bit? They can't, you know, in terms of but the years before, they're 6 and 0, I think it was going into that. And you had a bigger name coming. Not that Stanford was, you know, awesome back then, but they were pretty good. Um, you know, or maybe 2020 Clemson or 2018 Michigan, maybe, maybe, maybe not. You know, where do you where do you see this game kind of falling into the rankings of those big home games over the last 20, 25 years? I've thought a little bit about that because it's, you know, the Bush push game. I think always will, that will be number one because it was just an insane scene, the, like before the game, and then the game was nuts too. The green jerseys, all that stuff, like the you know, Charlie Weiss year one, like it was just sort of like a a renaissance season for Notre Dame. You know, against I think what the defending Heisman Trophy winner and the soon to be Heisman Trophy winner and Bush and Liner. So that's going to be one. I think that you could make an argument that Ohio State could be two, even though Clemson was ranked one when they came in here in 2020. But like the, the scene was obviously dampered. It was COVID, you know, no Trevor Lawrence. I mean, incredible game, great scene afterwards. Uh, I often think about like what that would have felt like if the stadium was full, maybe it would have felt a little bit like it did last year, but you know, last year's Notre Dame team had already, they lost three games at that point. So the stakes weren't the same. One of the things about Ohio state is, I mean, Notre Dame's lost five straight games to Ohio state and I need to go comb the media guide a little bit. I know that is the longest active losing streak Notre Dame has against anybody. I don't think it's the all-time losing longest losing streak because of, you know, some of the USC games, but a five-game losing streak, you haven't beat Ohio State since 1936 when you won 7 to 2. You know, the geographical ramifications of um, two Midwest schools who like to recruit nationally, the Marcus Freeman storyline. I just think that like beating Ohio State would be a statement similar to Clemson in 2020. Maybe it wouldn't have been a, as big as beating USC in 2005 if that had played out that way. But I think it's an easy argument to put Ohio State number two. Would we adjust it differently if Notre Dame won the game? Like if Ohio State wins the game, I don't know how big of a moment it would feel afterwards. But I think the run-up to the game is going to feel a lot like Clemson in 2020 where, like, all right, this is your chance to make a, a statement on a national stage. You had those Georgia losses in 17 and 19 preceding it. I just don't think that there's the there was the animosity towards Clemson as there is to Ohio State. You've got the the red in the stadium storyline, which I'll be writing about next week. So, you know, at the high end, number two, but in terms of like top five home games that I've covered, I just it's impossible for me to think that it won't be a top five home game in my twenty three seasons on the beat, um, just based on the stakes, the opponent, 
the records of both teams um, and just like all the extra narratives that go ahead. All right, Catherine B, you're up. Calling you to the stage. Good to hear from you. Hey, Pete. Hope you're doing good. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm going to join the trend here. I don't think anyone's asked a question about the fighting Jim McElwain's yet. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so I guess my question is, you seemed a little surprised at just how high Audric Estime's average um, runs per attempt are this season. Do you think that Audric Estime is capable of being kind of a, a Hassan Haskins or a Donovan Edwards from next year, or from last year when we're looking to play Ohio State next week? Because it's been very much a bell cow running back for both of those teams. Yeah. Against Ohio State particularly. That's a, that's a great point. Um, and I hadn't really thought about how to beat Ohio State in terms of the Michigan blueprint. But, like, Michigan has figured something out. And it's just like you bludgeon them over the head. Um, I think Audric Estimate definitely can be that back. You know, where maybe this week he has – 14 carries for 75 yards and is out of the game in the third quarter. And then I got to Ohio state. He's got 25 carries for 157 yards, you know, and then you, maybe you, the change Jarian price and Jeremiah love later in the game, you know, in the way that Donovan Edwards maybe was a change up to Blake Corum, you know, at times for Michigan, that would be a good way to do it. And I, I think it gets back to a question earlier about the offensive line, though, because Michigan's offensive line the last couple of years has been better than what Notre Dame's is right now. That doesn't mean that Notre Dame's offensive line can't play great against Ohio State and put that kind of performance together, but they haven't yet. Michigan won the Joe Moore Award, I think, at least in one of those years. I don't think they won it in both. I'll have to check that out. But 100% I agree that there is a blueprint in Ann Arbor about how to beat Ohio State. And I think Notre Dame would be trying to reinvent the wheel if they didn't take some pages from it. Ohio State doesn't like it when you try to beat them over the head. And I, I think in some ways, Notre Dame tried to do that last year. They just didn't have J.J. McCarthy to then throw the ball over the top when necessary. That, I think, is kind of where you know Sam Hartman changes everything for Notre Dame because he's got a chance to keep Ohio State honest in a way that Tyler Buckner just couldn't. You know, last year there was there was no reason for Ohio State to respect Notre Dame's passing game in a way. That, yeah, Michigan won there, Joe Moore Award each of the last two years. So there was no reason for Ohio State to respect Notre Dame's run game or pass game last year. There clearly is with Sam Hartman, but you still need the offensive line to set the table for everything. Like every interview Sam Hartman does, he talks about how it all starts up front. He's he's dead on about it. Um, you need the offensive line to set the table for everything else. Um, and if Notre Dame is really going to have like an elite special season, which means making the college football playoff, and that means going 11 and one at worst, the offensive line has got to show some growth from where they are right now. All right. No questions in the queue. So I'll go to the chat. Uh, Hayden A wants to know the people need to know once and for all, did Audrick estimate eat a hot dog during the weather delay or not? Reports have been conflicting about who got what snacks and for whom during the delay. Hey, Nate, you are, um, I, I feel like you're a, a sleeper question on this podcast from my wife because she has been begging me to write more about Hot Dog Gate all week. She says that's what the people want to know about. So you're proof of uh, concept there for her. But look, Audrey Kessemay said he ate a hot dog. And I think there were a lot of hot dogs laying around during the break, hour 45 minutes, probably ate a hot dog. Probably not the only thing he ate either. I was told that No Rames Nutrition staff, they had wraps and actual healthy stuff 
ready to go. They procured it around 8, 8.30 in the morning because they knew the weather to LA had the chance to disrupt the game. The hot dogs and pretzels were more for like student managers and support staff. Now, could the players have had some of them? Yes. But I think what Notre Dame was a little ticked off about is this narrative out there, which is fun. Uh, and Marcus references the Hollywood story that somehow Notre Dame had no food for its football team. It was completely unprepared and it had to go to the concession stand to get it. That is not the case. But I think Audrey Custom-Aid definitely had a hot dog. And as someone who coaches youth sports and had a third grade basketball player eat a hot dog on the bench during one of our games last year, the hot dog narrative was crushing to me. Because I know that my players will think like, oh, yeah, you can totally eat hot dogs during athletic events now. It's great. And you might even have an 80-yard run immediately after it. So I think he had a hot dog, but that was not why he had the 80-yard touchdown run. That had a lot more to do with, you know, the fact that he's 200, what, 30 pounds and running behind Joe Wall and Blake Fisher. All right, Benton M., I'm going to call you to the stage. Next up on the Shamrock Live, I, you're up. Ask your question. Yeah, uh, so I have kind of two points, uh, both revolving around Coach Parker. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like all three games, obviously it's a very small sample size, but I feel like we've seen, um, the ability or the willingness to adjust on the fly, not saying that didn't happen in years past with Tommy. Um, I mean, he certainly had some, some fantastic game plans dialed up. I mean, 2020 Clemson comes to mind with a lot of the shifting and, and motions and different things that they did to kind of get Venables, um, probably trying trying to figure some some different things out to kind of stop us. Um, but I feel like in those years, we, we kind of maybe just reverted back to, and maybe rightfully so, um, leaning on teams in the second half opposed to maybe mm-hmm. really adjusting to what def- <clears throat> defenses were doing. Um, whereas conversely with Parker, especially against NC State, I, I think we saw a lot of adjustments on the fly, which which paid dividends. So I just kind of wanted to see what, what your thoughts mm-hmm. on that are. Uh, and then also just a fun quip. I feel like Coach Parker um, oddly is reminiscent to Jesse Ventura in Predator. And I don't know uh, if, his over, <laughs> if his over under on dressing up like that for Halloween, what, what would you put those odds at? Ooh, I, I might have to bring that up to him next week and just see how he feels about uh, the Jesse Ventura <laughs> Predator. Was that the I Ain't Got Time to Bleed? Was that Absolutely. the Predator? Yes. All right. And and the uh and the Chew, the Chew comic. So I believe he is a uh Copenhagen or some kind of uh, tobacco could, guy yeah, as well. Yeah, so. I, I could see that. He's definitely got <laughs> that uh that vibe happening. But um I Absolutely. I think in terms of your point about him adjusting on the fly, like I thought last week was the first time he actually had to do it. You know, because I thought Al Golden the first two weeks, you know, the Navy and Tennessee State, they come out, do some different stuff. Notre Dame has to figure it out on the sideline. Boom, figure it out, game over. NC State with the the six three and outs in the game, and I believe they started the game with three straight three and outs, if I'm not mistaken. No, it was two, two three and outs. Then there was a weather delay, the 80-yard touchdown. And it's not like Notre Dame's offense was just like, all right, they're on it. Because then they had two more three and outs. Um, so, yeah, three and out, three and out. The Spencer Schrader field goal, which was kind of a kind of a funky drive. That I, that was when uh, Sam Hartman had that, I think it was 16-yard designed run on third and 10. Weather delay, auto custom boom, 80-yard run. But then two more three and outs. So it was a weird, weird start to the game. But 
I love the way that he figured out how to expose North Carolina's like North Carolina State sort of over pursuit at the linebacker position um, with misdirection and play action. And L. Golden talked a little bit about this this week. Like everyone wants to shut everything down all the time. And that's fine. But he said there are times as a defense coordinator, and I think the same thing is true on offense, but there are times as a defense coordinator where like the offense is trying to get you to take the cheese and they want you to try to be perfect on a play to, to hold it to zero yards instead of giving up five and see, and just sort of playing your rules because they know when you adjust and try to be perfect and get more aggressive, they're going to go over your head and it's going to be an explosive play. So I that Parker's done a, he did a excellent job last week of adjusting as the game went on you know, to end with three straight touchdown drives uh, before kneeling it out with, with Angeli at the end to, to really put a dagger in NC State. And look, while those were short drives, it was a 33-yard touchdown drive, a 16-yard touchdown drive, a 54-yard touchdown drive. It's not like they're going the full length of the field there. But um, to sort of adjust on the fly, you know, you put in the, the overload with Alt and Fisher together doing that, you know, getting stays involved as much as they did. Like, I mean, you think about, the Davis Sherwood touchdown. He easily could have just thrown it to Mitchell Evans as well. Um, and that's keep an eye on the tight end rotation this weekend. I'm not uh, not sure Mitchell Evans is is going to factor in as much as he has in the past couple of weeks. But you know, with Holden stays, you know, coming along, maybe there will be a little bit more eleven personnel with Tyree and Greathouse, and they'll play more of a singular tight end look against Central Michigan. But um, I think Parker's done a really nice job. You know, it's easy to just steamroll Tennessee State and Navy offensively and have, what was it, 12 Sam Hartman drive, start the season, 11 of them were touchdown. Um, like, that looks great. Didn't look that hard to call plays. Parker had to, like, earn it a little bit more last week, and I thought he did a nice job adjusting on the fly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. If you've got a question, you can hop in the queue and I'll call you to the stage and ask it. 
but I will look at the chat to see what we've got more questions in. Try John S. here. I know we're technically in the midst of Central Michigan week, but looking ahead, how specifically do you anticipate Notre Dame defends Marvin Harrison Jr.? Do you believe they can take him out of the equation like Indiana did of all teams? Possible. You know, do you play a safety over the top with Xavier Watts or DJ Brown or Ramon Henderson? But if you remember the game from last year, Mecca Abuka is like a big time player as well. So I don't know if taking him out of the game is Jackson Smith and Jigba literally got taken out of the game by Brandon Joseph um, on the sideline. Marvin Harrison Jr. didn't do a whole lot last year. Abuka did. I will be interested to sort of see how they do they overplay Harrison? Do they have to mix it up? Um, I know a lot of people are concerned about the amount of linebacker blitzes that Al Golden has called and, you know, the effectiveness or ineffectiveness of them. I think that you have to mix it up with Kyle McCord. And I, as much as how you defend Marvin Harrison is important, I think making sure Kyle McCord doesn't have a clear picture of what's in front of him, in front of him is like paramount for next week. He's, Started one road game. It was at Indiana. He was not particularly sharp in it. And I'll be interested to see Ohio State tomorrow, mostly more for their defense because Western Kentucky can score. Youngstown State really can't. I mean, it's like you, Kyle McCord's one start against a Power 5 team. They were up 10-3 at the half and won 23-3. Uh, McCord finished 20 of 33 for 239. No touchdowns, one interception. Marvin Harrison, two catches, 18 yards. Uh, Julian Fleming was a former five-star recruit, six for 58, and Abuka, three for 16. Like, if that's Ohio State's box score against Notre Dame, Notre Dame wins that game because they're not going to get held to three points. So that is um, the fact that Ohio State no longer seems to be this, like, perfect storm of offensive skill talent. You have to give credit to their offensive line. They beat up. Notre Dame's defensive front last year and sort of beat Notre Dame the way Notre Dame used to beat a lot of people. Um, maybe late Brian Kelly area where they would just lean on them and lean on them and lean on them. And eventually the dam would break. Um, that's sort of how Ohio state finished off Indiana. But uh, if Ohio state tries to play that way against Notre Dame, I think Notre Dame wins the game. So yeah, I think it has more to do with how you defend McCord, how you confuse McCord than necessarily what you're doing with Marvin Harrison or those two things do sort of sync up. Next up, Nick D. from the chat. At what point does Notre Dame start seriously considering letting Hartman and Estimate compile statistics toward a Heisman run versus taking them out early to guard against injury and keep them fresh? I would lean very, very hard towards the latter on this. The Heisman stuff, like if Hartman beats Ohio State and he throws for 250 yards and two touchdowns, like that's when your Heisman campaign really starts, when you get a big win like that. Or if estimate runs for 200 yards, like running up your box score against Central Michigan, I don't think does anything for you. And I, I also would say it's important to remember, like Ohio State will be the fifth game of a eight game and an eight week stretch that includes USC and at Duke. Like it's much more important to keep Hartman and estimate fresh, estimate in particular, than it is to run up the score on somebody for the sake of statistics. So if Hartman beats Ohio State, he will be on the Heisman shortlist. And then if he beats USC against the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, it's I don't want to say his stats won't matter because they will have to be good for Notre Dame to win that game. But then you're sort of let, like letting the Heisman hype come to you opposed to forcing the issue against Central Michigan on September 16th. Heisman winners in the past. You know, I mean, 
you've been a Notre Dame fan for a while, you know how many USC quarterbacks have won the Heisman Trophy. They never won it because they ran up the score on Arizona or San Jose State. They won it because they beat Notre Dame at the end of the season. So that's that's where I think the Hartman estimate, if one of them is going to be a true candidate, you're going to have to probably beat Ohio State and USC to do it. Next from the chat, Michael B. Pete, I know we are all somewhat guilty of this, but does Notre Dame fans care too much about old coaches, especially on Twitter? Seems like we are one of the only fan bases that drags on old coaches like Brian Kelly, Tommy Reese, et cetera. I think it has been super annoying this year. What are your thoughts? You know, it's like the Brian Kelly stuff, I think, is totally in bounds, and I get it for Notre Dame fans because he's the head coach, and he left Notre Dame because he felt like he couldn't win a national title here. I think most Notre Dame fans would say that's because the recruiting effort was not on par with a national championship roster. So I get it. To me, that is totally different than the Tommy Reese stuff, which I, I find strange. Tommy Reese played at Notre Dame. He graduated from Notre Dame. He coached for five years at Notre Dame. I feel like Tommy Reese put in his time. That was, what, nine of the previous 12 seasons he was either a Notre Dame player or a Notre Dame offensive coordinator. I think Notre Dame fans have this kind of odd angst with Reese because he was the guy that was kept Everett Golson on the bench because you wanted to see a more dynamic quarterback than what Reese was. I never really understood that. I think Reese sort of got everything he could out of his talent as a player. I think he's a really good offensive coordinator. But his departure from Notre Dame wasn't about winning a national championship. It was like, I want to learn from the best coach, in, arguably, in college football history. Like I think we can all understand and appreciate wanting to have a job where you can learn and better yourself as a professional. So... I think that Notre Dame fans took a little bit, and I'm saying like global, I'm not saying you in particular, but like the big picture, there was a little too much glee about Alabama being bad offensively last week against Jalen Milrow, or with Jalen Milrow at quarterback. I think this may be on overdrive this week. If you've seen some of the reports, there was a report on CBS um, Sports that Alabama might be turning to Tyler Buckner as its quarterback this weekend. They'll be irresistible, I think, for some Notre Dame fans. I would advise just like let it go move on. You know, Buckner left for an opportunity to play because he was going to sit behind Sam Hartman. Reese left to learn from Tom Reese. But if you want to be infatuated with Brian Kelly at LSU and take the light in their loss to Florida State or what's coming down the pipe for them, like, go for it. Um, I don't think that's weird at all because his Brian Kelly's departure was, was pretty acrimonious. Um, but with Reese and Buckner, like, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, I think that if anything, you want Reese to have some success because it's it bodes well for Notre Dame when he does. Um, you know, it kind of speaks well to how much career development he actually got at Notre Dame that he was able to go down and work for Nick Saban and have some success at a place where the offensive coordinators have been what, like Lane Kiffin, Bill O'Brien, Brian Dable, like NFL head coaches, you know, for Reese to be in that group, that's a compliment to Notre Dame, not not a slight. Whereas with Brian Kelly and LSU, I think it's the other way around. Next up, Mark D. Pete, I think the Irish should handle Central Michigan. The Ohio State game is on my radar. I see Ohio State seeing the Irish as a way to move up in the polls with a quality road win. What concerns do you see from a defensive standpoint against Ohio State? I mean, we talked a little bit about Emeka Buka and Marvin Harrison Jr. Ohio State's run game has not been nearly the butt-kicking force that it was a year ago. You know, Mayan Williams, I remember seeing him pregame against Notre Dame and thinking like, if you think Audrick Estime's lower body is well-built, Mayan Williams is at a different level. Um, I think Travion Henderson has been 
pretty underwhelming based on his recruiting profile there. Chip Trainum is the other back there. I mean, overall, I just think Ohio State's ground game has been okay. And I think if Notre Dame can keep it as just being okay, then Notre Dame will be in great shot, great chances. Like, think about like Notre Dame's defensive game plan. They're going to dare Ohio State's quarterback to beat them compared to where they were last year with C.J. Stroud. You are sure not going to dare C.J. Stroud to beat you because he will. They dared Ohio State's run game to beat them. And ultimately, they did at the in the fourth quarter. But I would much rather have it be set up the way that it is now, where if Notre Dame's front seven rises to the occasion, Kyle McCord, I think, is going to have a hard time finding a whole lot of joy down the field, regardless of who the receivers are. So my, I mean, my concerns are that McCord throws the ball up in a 50-50 proposition and Harrison goes up and gets it over Ben Morrison and it's a 50-yard game and or Cam Hart and, you know, the corner stumbles and he, it's an explosive play. You know, the, the passing equivalent of Audrick Estime's 80-yard run last week. So that's my biggest concern. You know, last year, I thought that Nerding's defensive line would play a lot better than it did. Uh, and they just frankly didn't hold up. They didn't get pressure on Stroud the way that they needed to. Whereas now, I think with McCord, you can get pressure on him, but you can also confuse him with coverage. So big game for Al Golden in terms of keeping um, the Ohio State quarterback off balance. Andrew G, um, a couple here in the chat. And I can call you to the stage, uh, ask a question, and you can ask it um, live on the air here. Andrew G, has a couple of comments here. It seems Jared Parker went full-time Maurice 2022 with two tight ends in the past game in order to finish off NC State. And I think the lack of production from the outside receivers and the O-line issues are interconnected. Teams will stack the box until Notre Dame makes them pay deep. You're not wrong. I like the idea of Notre Dame making teams pay with Holden State's Holden stays at Jaden Greyhouse on seam routes and play action. I think there are other ways to make a team pay for stacking the box than throwing the ball um, back shoulder fades. Not that Notre Dame couldn't do that. It would definitely help if Notre Dame's receivers made the whole field feel like it needed to be defended opposed to just everything inside the numbers. So I'm with you there um, to a point, but I just think that the ability to hit the ball deep doesn't have to be just the receivers on the outside. I think it could be stays in the seam. I think it could be Greyhouse in the seam. I don't know if Ty- well, Tyree has speed, like the ability to hit an over-the-shoulder ball to Chris Tyree. I'd almost rather throw that ball to Jane Greyhouse because I think his ball skills are elite, sort of the ability to make contested catches. So that would be sort of how I see it. I think there are other ways to make teams pay for stacking the box than hit the outside receiver. And look, that's what Jared Parker did to NC State last week, as you mentioned, going full-time Maurice, like tight end play action passes. They were a little bit more obvious to defend when Michael Mayer was the tight end because you knew what was coming. But that can be real effective with this run game. Uh, and then you just need the receivers to chip in a little bit on the outside. So, Andrew G., if we're ever going to beat Ohio State, this is it. It's as simple as scoring 35 points. Oregon, Michigan, and Georgia all had to do that in the past three years to beat them. It's that's a good way to look at it because I feel like, you know, Georgia's game plan last year, you know, did they have great receiver play? Not really. You know, they had an incredibly experienced quarterback. Notre Dame has one of those. And they had a power run game. Oregon went to Ohio State and won. They had an experienced quarterback, if I'm not mistaken. Good run game. I feel like in a lot of ways, Ohio State is matchup, is built to match up with like SEC speed schools and to just run by uh, other Big Ten schools, not named Michigan. 
than they are to like hang with, you know, a Michigan or a, the way Notre Dame is currently constructed. So, I mean, 35 points, if Notre Dame is five for five in the red zone with touchdowns, they can get there. But I say this, even though Ohio State scored 23 points against Indiana, you know, and then last week against Youngstown State, they scored 35. We'll see what they do against Western Kentucky. Uh, I'm with you. 35 points feels like you're going to beat them. That's the, you're going to have to get into the mid thirties to do it. And I think that, look, Norton's averaging, what, 47 points a game. They have the offense to score five touchdowns against Ohio State because it's not – Ohio State has a good defense. They've given up 10 points. We'll see against Western Kentucky. If, if they hold – if they shut out Western Kentucky or hold them to a touchdown, I might feel a little differently about Ohio State's defense. All right, I'm going to call Ryan B. to the stage. Uh, Ryan B., you're up. Go ahead with a question. Oh, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, like, check kind of what your prediction would be for um, how long the first-teamers – um, stay in this weekend against Central Michigan? Would it be more like as long as they did against Navy or as short of amount of time as they were against Tennessee State? Just because kind of the fact of you were alluding to earlier that their uh, first bye week's not till the 21st. So just c- trying to see how fresh they can keep everyone. If the game goes to plan, then it's going it, to, I think they would prefer to feel more like Tennessee State. Than, it, than Navy. Um, so you get the starters out for rest. Like against Navy, could they have pulled Hartman earlier? I mean, obviously um, they could have. But in game one, you want to give your, your players some reps, work some things out. In game four, that's not the case anymore. Like the kinks have been worked out and you're not trying to show anything more than you have to anyhow. So I think in an ideal world, you know, Notre Dame's up. 28 nothing at halftime. Maybe Hartman plays the first series of the second half, but that's it. So by middle of the third quarter, you've emptied the bench because you have a five touchdown lead. Um, and Tennessee State doesn't look, or um, Central Michigan doesn't look like they're posing much of a threat. This is a week to get your starters out early, less because you don't want to show stuff and more just because, like, you got to look at this as an eight week block of games. And the second half of this block is a hell of a lot harder than the first half. So keeping guys fresh and thinking about, all right, how do I want Audric Estime to feel on, what is it, October 15th? I don't know. I don't have my uh, October Saturdays committed to, to memory yet. I think it's October 14th. I, w- I would spend some time if I was Notre Dame thinking about how Audric Estime feels coming out of this game and how I can sort of keep the carries low. Um, you know, Hartman's maybe less important, but, um, you know, the running backs, some of the offensive linemen, um, you know, linebacker, they're suddenly a little bit thin with J.D. Bertrand out, tight end Holden stays with Eli Raritan out. We'll see about Mitchell Evans on Saturday. Um, these are, it's it's worth factoring in the, the long haul this weekend, I think, if you're, if you're Notre Dame. Matthew H. wants to know, through three weeks, I'm trying to figure out what's real and what's not. At this point, what do you think you know you know about this team, and what do you think you don't know? I wrote about this a little bit in my mailbag yesterday. The thing that I think that I know, but I'm not 100% certain, is Sam Hartman makes Notre Dame upset-proof. That doesn't apply to Ohio State, USC, or Clemson, but it applies to Duke, Pittsburgh, Wake Forest, Louisville, and Stanford, where you have a quarterback that is so capable and efficient that you're not going to have games you're not going to have Stanford or Marshall from last season. So that that's something I, I think is true, but 
I think I'd like to see Duke or Louisville before I sort of come to that conclusion. The thing that I know the, the least about but need to sort of have, I mean, this weekend I don't think it's going to show much of it, is the safety play, which I think is good, but I don't want to get too ahead of myself after last weekend with picks from Watts and Brown. And then the offensive line play that we talked about at the top of the show, like the offensive line play has been fine. I just think that it can be so much better than that. And how Notre Dame gets to that end is critical to have a chance against Ohio State and USC when you have to score some real points. So I think that the offensive line, that's sort of my biggest unknown as it relates to the USC game being important. And I think safety play is probably my biggest unknown as it relates more to the USC game when you're going against Caleb Williams. But I think that in terms of Nurem's rush offense, that kind of fits in the offensive line. That could be a little bit better. They weren't all that efficient last week, even though they put up some huge numbers. I think I know what they have in Hartman. I also think the defensive line is just pretty good. Uh, I think we've seen that through three weeks, and I think they'll be pretty good the rest of the season. Might not be great. Hard crosses flash some greatness. I think the linebackers are better than I think what the fan base waving my hands to signal everyone maybe felt like in the summer. But safety play and offensive line are probably the two spots where I'm just like, eh, I feel like I want to see more. Nick D wants to know, what would Notre Dame's recruiting classes look like right now without the current NIL considerations? Marcus Freeman is unbelievably genuine and easy to like. I feel like Notre Dame just missed out on having a dynamic recruiter we have lacked for a generation. It's really frustrating. I think down the hall, down the stretch last year, as they were finishing off the class, if NIL didn't exist and you, and you singled out Keon Keeley, Peyton Bowen, and Dante Moore, I think one of those guys is on the roster right now. Maybe two guys are, are on the roster right now, but it kind of makes no sense to complain about it. Just it's changed. It's changed everything about recruiting, it's changed how you approach the transfer portal. I think that Notre Dame and NIL have worked together with Sam Hartman to make that happen. How different would you feel about this team if they had a five-star safety or a five-star edge rusher? Probably a lot different, right? You know, somebody asked me about like name a Brian Kelly era player to put on this team that would make the most difference. And I, I realized that Michael Floyd or Will Fuller, or even Quentin Nelson are the easiest answers. But if you gave me freshman year, Aaron Lynch against Michigan state for 12 games, this would be a completely different defense. And somebody like Keon Keeley has had the potential to be like that. I'm not, I can't say I've really followed his start to Alabama, but um, I understand the frustration because you feel like you finally have the recruiter that you needed you know, for the best since Holtz. And then the goalposts moved. And I think, you know, in some ways, Notre Dame is still adapting to, like, how much they want to play the NIL game, how much Marcus Freeman wants to lean into that. I think overall the recruiting has been good, but Marcus Freeman has a chance, had a chance to make it great. Um, and then NIL sort of threw a wrench in that whole operation. Brian J. Grand Valley is playing Assumption College this weekend for Brian Kelly Bowl 1. Central Michigan is at ND. Notre Dame for Brian Kelly Bowl 2. If the football gods smile on us and give us LSU for Notre Dame for Brian Kelly Bowl 3, where would that storyline rank in your time covering Notre Dame? The idea of Notre Dame playing LSU, like, let's just have fun with it. College football playoff, Notre Dame versus LSU. I'm not sure that the college football world is prepared for it. This will sound weird, but I think that the vibe around that game for Notre Dame fans would feel a little bit like two games that felt the most hostile to me that I've covered in my time on the beat. One, 
is Miami in 2017. And the other one, ironically, is LSU in 2006 when they played in the Sugar Bowl. It was the first Sugar Bowl at Superdome after Katrina. And it was such a hornet's nest in there. There was like this cathartic, we're back, Louisiana. Um, Catherine B., maybe you can hop in and comment on this. But like Notre Dame has no shot in this game. I knew it at the opening kickoff, if not before, because of how jacked up the LSU fan base was to play that game. That didn't necessarily have a ton to do with Notre Dame and maybe more about the circumstances. But I think the Notre Dame fan base in that kind of game would probably be worth 14 points. Catherine B., uh, you're, I'm calling you back to the stage. You can give me your opinion on that, what a uh, Notre Dame LSU vibe would feel like this year. Man, that would be insane. It would just be – well, and the crazy thing is that you bring up 2006 because I think – is it the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl are the two hosts for the semifinals yeah, this year? it could be in the Sugar Bowl. So it could be in New Orleans again. Yeah, I mean, it'd be a, a really, really interesting thing. I think that LSU fans, like, haven't necessarily jumped on the we hate Notre Dame train just because Notre Dame fans hate LSU. But I do think that there'd be a real rallying of the troops because for LSU to make the playoff this year, then that means that Brian Kelly has somehow managed to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. Not to mention Alabama, but that that's a different that that game will have a different feel this year. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that that would be it would be a crazy fun thing. I think that Notre Dame, Sam Hartman would just unless LSU's cornerbacks get so much better so quickly, then he could just really carve up the team, assuming that the outside receivers could actually catch the football. Um, but yeah, it would be a very intense atmosphere. It'd be awfully fun. I'd love to see it. I would be all for it as too. I'd be uh, writing my butt off for about a month in advance on that one. The Notre Dame LSU storyline, I guess we'll see if, I don't, is college football ready for such a thing? Uh, it would It would be, we could all take a break from Deion Sanders uh, for Brian Kelly versus Notre Dame and what that would all mean to everybody. If you've got, we're wrapping up here, but if you got a question, I can call you to the stage and ask it. Um, I'll pull a couple more out of the chat um, before we wrap up here at one o'clock. Robert C cuts to the point here. Pete, is it more likely we go two and one than one and two versus the big three this year? I, I still feel like it's one and two is more likely than two and one, but I feel like Notre Dame is more likely to go nine and zero. Oh, then eight and one against the other the other nine games. You know that would get you to ten and two on the season, especially if you're beating. You know if you split Ohio State and USC at home, but lose to Clemson on the road. I think that would be unequivocally a very very good season, a strong year two for Marcus Freeman. The season has started so well. I understand why people would want more. I mean, who doesn't? You know, you want to win all twelve if you can. But um, I still think like. USC is built in a way that outscoring them is going to be very, very difficult. Clemson is weirder to me than it was when the season started. Like, I think when the season started or when we were talking about in the summer when I do that fan survey on The Athletic, it was sort of like ranked the, the games from easiest to hardest. I always had Clemson as the hardest game. You know, I realize they've only played one game or they've played two games, only one game that anyone watched against Duke. Something was a little off there. And, it, yeah, it could get totally turned around by the time Notre Dame goes down there in the same way that Notre Dame totally got it turned around by the time that Clemson came up here last season. I'm sure Clemson fans, when they watch the Marshall game or the Stanford game, are thinking, like, we got this. Like, we don't need Uyengale to throw more than 10 passes, and we should be fine. And they got blown off the field. So I don't want to get 
too far out over my skis on Clemson regressing to the point that it's not a difficult game. But I do think USC has been more explosive than I would have thought. Uh, if you watch Zachariah Branch, their freshman, he is just a freak punt return, kick return guy on top of a big time receiver. So I think USC is maybe better than what I thought early on. Ohio State is not quite where I thought. Clemson is not quite where I thought. So I think at the beginning of the year, I would have, I would have ranked those games. Clemson and Ohio State being the toughest and Clemson being the third. Now I feel like they're sort of more bunched together. So I'm still, I'm still at one and two, split the home games, lose on the road to Clemson, uh, and then sweep everything else to get to 10 and two and go to a New Year's Six Bowl. But man, if you can get, you can go two and one. I mean, especially if it, the two, you split Ohio State and Clemson, but win it, win it, or I'm sorry, split Ohio State and USC, win at Clemson. Maybe you have a win over the ACC champ and the Big Ten champ um, and a close loss against the Pac-12 champ. That's a pretty strong 11-1 and that makes you uh, a legit playoff contender, a way that, like, you know, they would have – they almost went 11-1 and in 2015. But if they had beaten Stanford, that really would have been their only marquee win of the entire season. This Notre Dame has a chance to get two of them plus Duke on top of that. That might make things a little bit different. But I'm – if they look incredible against Ohio State, you can ask me this question, uh, Robert C. On you know going into Duke Week when I do this from a Fairfield Inn in Durham, but um, for now I'm at, I'm at one and two. So we'll do one last question, um, and it's it's from Ryan L. He wants position group needing an upgrade both in teaching and recruiting. That's interesting. I think in recruiting, safety still needs to be upgraded. I think Chris O'Leary's done a good job teaching the material that he has, but needs to do more with getting higher end material on the front end. You know, from the teaching point of view, that's tougher. You know, it's like Al Washington does a good job with Howard Cross, but like I think that defensive line needs, you know, more from Burnham, more from Tui Halamaka. Can you get Vernon or Triori to help out down the road? I think he's done a nice job with Onye. And Gabe Rubio in the middle. Hopefully, Gabe Rubio will be back for Ohio State as expected. But that's a position where, like, like they just need to get more out of their defensive ends than what they're getting. You know, the material is there to to be, I think, slightly better when, than where they are. So, you know, recruiting uptick at safety, I think development uptick at defensive line that would maybe change how we view the defense moving forward. So, we'll wrap up on that for this episode of the Shamrock Live. I expect next Friday to be ridiculous uh, as we preview Ohio State. That's going to be a hell of a good time. hope some of you, if not most of you, will be able to make it in for that game. But uh, until we talk next Friday at noon, appreciate all the questions. <laughs>